As we've been moving through the book of Genesis, we are trying to apply each of the chapters. I've been trying to take something from each chapter and show how it can be put to work immediately in our own lives. <clears throat> and we are in chapter 49. There's only 50 chapters, so we're almost done. It's been a wonderful journey. I hope that you've enjoyed the applications as I have enjoyed making them in my own life. But in chapter 49, <clears throat> forgive me, <clears throat> we're going to begin some wrap-up. Uh, Tying some loose ends together, if you will, okay? And in chapter 49, uh, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, but yet, interestingly enough, in this chapter is referred to as Jacob, he is going to pass away. And uh, we're going to make some preparations for that, etc. Not unlike what happened in the last chapter, but this one's going to be a little more specific to his own children. So, here we go, chapter 49. <clears throat> as you know, we always try to present five questions. I'll get my big head out the way. And you can screenshot that. There are the questions for your uh, own personal Bible study, or if you're part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, you can use those five questions to prepare you for the final test that comes out at the end of the week. All right, you got it? Chapter 49, really good chapter. I'm anxious to share this one with you. Sentimentality versus divine arrangement. That's quite a mouthful for a title, but I think this chapter really gets summed up with that application for our own life. Uh, there's many applications you can make, but this is this is a big one for me, at least I think. Uh, it's something that I can see in my own life that I need to take in and appreciate the processes of God. <clears throat> God is so big, and he sees so much, and he's in control of so much, that Sometimes the things that he does doesn't seem to be as sentimental as you and I might uh, make them. And part of that is because you and I are a moment in time. You know, we got this little speck of existence, if you will, on the timeline of humanity. And uh, God sees it all. And I'm not suggesting that when we leave this moment in time that we end our existence. But I am suggesting to you that we haven't been part of the bigger picture all the way back to... Adam, Noah, Abraham, etc. And so God is, he, we see this one moment. <clears throat> I'm 60, about, I'm about to turn 61 years old. And so my 61 years are the most significant 61 years on the timeline as far as I'm concerned. And I think that God finds them to be very significant as well, but they are not necessarily the core. The, the, the universe or the timeline of humanity does not revolve around Sonny Childs, even though that's kind of the, my perspective is all I've got, right? But God sees the big timeline. And so as he's interacting with the big timeline, sometimes the things that he does doesn't seem quite as sentimental as you and I might make them. Because sentimentality is largely rooted in self and what revolves around me, my memories, the things that are special to me. Well, when you understand <clears throat> sentimentality versus the divine arrangement, you begin to recognize how that God operates from the big picture. And that sometimes the things that we prioritize are just not as important as we might think they are. In Genesis chapter 49, 29-31, uh, you're, you're going to begin to see Jacob's last preparations for death. And um, from this text, I'm going to draw out three couples that are buried in the same cave. It's often referred to as the tomb of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of these, the big three of the opening days of, of Judaism, uh, they're, they're going to be buried in the same cave, the cave of Machpelah. Let's just read the text and then we'll move on. Then he commanded them, that is Jacob, 
he commanded them, he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field or, uh, with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. So Abraham himself <coughs> purchases this cave, purchases this cave for the purpose of, of burial, and it becomes quite significant. And I was reading yesterday that <laughs> uh, some some historians suggest that it's the second most holy site to the Jews, and that that might be true to the Jews. Uh, first being the Temple Mount, of course. But uh, as you can imagine, you know, where you've got your big three, the original three that start this movement, God starts it through them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, this would be a very significant spot. I'm told there's a big old building that's built on top of it. I don't know what it is with us on buildings, but anyhow. Anyhow, uh, what you've got here is Abraham, he, he purchased this place. Now, verse 31 is going to be significant to our lesson. They There, they buried Abraham and Sarah. That's your first couple. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, that's your second couple, his wife. And there I buried Leah, I being Jacob or Israel. And so there's your third couple, the big three couples that are buried within the tomb of the patriarchs. But I find it interesting when you see who's buried there and you recognize their backstory, that there are, there are directions you and I probably would have taken in the storyline to make it a little more romantic to us or sentimental to us that God completely avoids. He says, I'm not really interested in that in this specific spot in the timeline. That's not my purpose. God's always focused on what's best and his purpose was to bring the Messiah into the world. You're going to see in these three examples how that he does not give in to sentimentality, but rather the divine arrangement that has to be had. That's what God's going to stick with. Number one, <coughs> Forgive me for my hack. I want to point to Sarah and uh, Abraham here. Uh, I want you to notice that instead of the sentimentality of Ishmael, Isaac is going to be the one who's going to be is going to be chosen. So it's going to be Isaac, not Ishmael. Uh, you might not think of Ishmael in a sentimental kind of a way, but consider the story, the backstory, if you will. And Sarai said to Abram, "Notice this is back before their names had been changed." She says to her husband, she said, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Back in the day, you might recall, the, the promise has already been made that Sarai is going to have children. But uh, she's struggling with that. And she's not sure what to, what to do. Uh, the problem, at the very least, you can you can be reminded that Abraham has been promised by God that he's going to become a great nation, and Sarah's his wife, Sarai is his wife, and and uh, so they begin to, well, specifically Sarai, they begin to concoct this plan. It's a sentimental plan. I don't want to die without having children. I want to have a little one on my knee. I want to be able to go through the process of motherhood, all of those sentimental kind of things. And so here's what we're going to do, honey. I need for you to go sleep with my handmaiden. And in that process, which I'm told back in the day was common when a woman was barren, but uh, in that process that I will take her child and adopt that child as my own. Now, that didn't work out, as you know, the further story of Ishmael. He was a, a wild donkey of a man and, and all that kind of thing. So it doesn't work out. But the sentimentality is driving Sarai at this point. 
saying, God doesn't seem to be doing what I expected him to do. And so we need to help him out. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to use our own initiative. And in our initiative, we're going to circumvent the promise of God. And I'm going to suggest to you, you take my handmaiden and we'll have children from her. So you see the sentimentality of that. But God says, no, I'm not going to get off track with my plan just because you guys are all sentimental. Now, I will say this. Ishmael becomes a real problem for them. Okay? And he's a problem even to this day, if you know much about Islam. But uh, the point is that sentimentality will often drive you in a direction that's opposed to God, which is what happens with Ishmael. All right? But God's not going to get off track with that. And so you notice you got sentimentality versus the actual plan of God, the divine arrangement. The Lord visited this. We're in chapter 21. See, this is 16. Now, 21, the Lord visited Sarah, and she, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him from Sarah, uh, bore him Isaac. And so we're going to have Isaac is going to be. And so we've got the divine arrangement. Isaac is going to trump the Ishmael concept. I just noticed I didn't spell Ishmael right there. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, we've got my H. But we're going to see here that Isaac now <clears throat> is going to be the actual plan of God. Isaac is the, the promised child, not Ishmael. So maybe it's appropriate that I didn't spell Ishmael correctly because he's not significant to the plan of the Christ. Isaac is the, the one who, in the divine arrangement, Isaac is the one that we are going to see brings about the fulfillment of the promise that God has made to Abraham, that you'll become a great nation through you. All the nations will be blessed. That is the Christ. So again, you see the sentimentality being driven by man, and God overrides it, and he said, no, we're going to stick with my arrangement. Second couple, and by the way, throughout, I never get the H back in there, I'm pretty confident, so just forgive me for Ishmael being constantly misspelled there. Second couple that we're going to find buried within the cave of Machpelah is um, Isaac and Rebekah. And so when Isaac and Rebekah have this relationship that you, again, are familiar with, Abraham sends off to get away for him, and Rebekah comes, and uh, Isaac is, co uh, is comforted because of the loss of his mom by being married to his wife. It's a, it's a wonderful relationship. A lot of sem sentimentality that is happening there. But you, know, you might remember how when children start coming along, that there's a little bit of a schism, maybe not a little bit, a lot of bit, of a schism within the home. It seems, doesn't seem, it is, Abra, excuse me, Isaac's favorite child is Esau. And Mama's favorite child is Jacob. Well, watch the text. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau. Now that would make sense because Esau is his oldest child, but he, he favors Esau even though it's not, it's not just the fact that he's the oldest child. His oldest son, he said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the days of my death. Uh, now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. I love it, son, when you bring me in some of that fresh food from the field. You know, and I, oh, I love that. You see the favoritism there, the sentimentality, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So you see the intention of Isaac. Isaac has this desire to bless 
Esau. Esau is going to be my favorite, or is my favorite, and he's going to receive the grand blessing. Evidently, in Isaac's eyes, uh, with regards to the fulfillment of the promise that was given to his daddy Abraham, evidently he's thinking Esau is going to be the one that's going to bring about these this great nation of people and is going to bring about this great blessing upon all peoples. But that's not the case, because God's not going to be distracted by sentimentality. It's all well and good that, that Isaac liked his son's hunting and all that, but that's not going to get it as far as God's arrangement is concerned. The divine arrangement is this. So we're going to skip now from chapter 27 to 28. <clears throat> then Isaac calls Jacob and he blesses him and he directs him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. This is a little out of character, it seems, from the from the, the storyline, because now all of a sudden Jacob is blessing his youngest son when he wanted to bless Esau. Jacob, prior to this, was pretty upset that he was tricked into the, uh, the, the whole process. That, that is true. But once things settle down a little bit, and he recognized what's happening in the camp, and evidently Mama has come and talked to Dad, and they, and they begin to think this whole thing through, Esau's mad as a hornet. He wants to kill his brother. And so daddy says, okay, son, you're going to have to leave camp. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to take a wife of the Canaanites. Uh, not, not take a wife of the Canaanites, forgive me. If you continue to read in context, it's interesting that Esau, out of spite, because he knows his daddy doesn't want him to marry a Canaanite woman, he goes and he marries a Canaanite woman. Okay, So God always knows what he's doing. But in the divine arrangement, we've got, Jacob, whose name eventually will be turned to Israel, Jacob is going to be the child of promise. Instead of the sentimentality, the man, I love your food. Esau, I think we're going to make you the blessed one. No. God says, we're going to stay, we're going to stay in motion with what I got going here. And Jacob, though the second born, Jacob is actually going to be the one who is part of the divine arrangement. Now, it's the third couple that I find to be most intriguing of all. And that, of course, is going to be uh, Jacob and Leah, but they're going to bring about Judah and Joseph. And the reason I find this to be most intriguing is because you know as well as I do the coat of many colors, the dreams that Joseph had, uh, the, uh, the, the, the glowing statements that you're going to see here in just a moment that uh, Jacob is going to make about his, his son, Joseph. Joseph is, is born to his favorite wife. Joseph is the one who's going to receive all kinds of favor by his daddy, which eventually is going to lead to a lot of jealousy, which is eventually going to lead to him being thrown into the pit, which is eventually going to lead to him being sold off into slavery, etc., etc. But it's not, you know, you're hard-pressed to read the story of Jacob and Joseph and not see that Joseph's the favorite child, right? So the sentimentality here, it's pretty rich. In chapter 48 and verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. This is, of course, after Jacob has come down from Canaan, Canaan land. And he is now dwelling in Egypt because of the great famine. He's overwhelmed with joy that his son is alive. He thought that he had been torn to bits by a wild animal. And so he's just, he's just overwhelmed with joy. And as he approaches his end, chapter 48 is when he blesses the boys of Joseph, remember? Chapter 49 is when he's going to bless his own children, Jacob, that is. But here we're talking about Joseph and Joseph's boys. 
And the thing that Jacob says to Joseph, I didn't think I'd ever see you again. I thought you, I thought you were dead and gone. But not only have I got to see your face, and it sounds like that uh, Jacob probably got to live down there in, in Egypt more than a decade. Uh, he got to see his face, got to witness his grandchildren. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Sentimentality. I've often wondered why God didn't make Joseph the, the one through whom the lineage of Christ would come. And I honestly, I don't know why he didn't. But he didn't. He didn't. Joseph comes from the favorite wife. But you're going to notice the favorite wife doesn't even get buried in the cave of Machpelah. Jacob is going to have with him, in death, if you will, his second wife, Leah, who he never expected to get. And yet, this is God's divine arrangement. Notice Genesis 49, one chapter later. Jacob, as he's about to die, he passes on the blessings to his children. He says to Judah, Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. you got the lion scenario here. Lion of Judah. You've heard that, that phrase in reference to Jesus. But then notice verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. <clears throat> Again, further promise of Jesus and what will come. Jesus being of the, uh, the, the lion of Judah. Uh, and Jesus having this eternal scepter, ruler of the nations, etc. This is going to be Jesus, who is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of what takes place here. But I want you to notice that this promise is going to come through Judah, not Joseph. Even though Joseph's sentimentality, even though Joseph seems to be the one we'd want to tie into, it's Judah. Judah is going to be the one. Now, again, I have to admit that as I go back through this list and I look at the three couples that are buried in the cave of Machpelah, I consider their backstory. I consider the sentimentality. There's a few of these moments of sentimentality that I just don't understand why God didn't go with it. That would have been so sweet, you know? Why not, especially the Joseph one, why not bring the, the Christ through the lineage of Joseph? I don't know. But I do know this. God's not so much about sentimentality as he is about staying the course, his divine arrangement will be the arrangement that goes. So, Isaac, not Ishmael. Again, I didn't even get my H here. Boy, I messed that up, didn't I? Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Judah, not Joseph. Because it's not about sentimentality. It's about the arrangement made by the divine creator himself. Here are the five questions we attempted to Oh, I don't know what that is. Sorry about that. Yeah, there's five questions. I've got an extra screen in there for some reason. There's the five questions we tried to come through and uh, answer those. I think we did pretty good.